Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. Go Wild has recently partnered with Mountain Tough for a free 30-day workout program designed to get you in shape for turkey season called the Go Wild Challenge. Download Go Wild to sign up and let everyone know in a Go Wild post that you're joining us. Then, each time you do a workout, tag Go Wild and Mountain Tough to hold yourself accountable. Also, Go Wild will be attending the Great American Outdoor Show February 4th through the 12th. If you're in the area, stop by booth 412, meet the guys, and learn all about Go Wild. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. Here we cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. We've got a fantastic episode in store for you today. I had a chance to talk with Dan Johnson of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast and the Hunting Gear podcast and the CEO and emperor of the Sportsman's Empire podcast network. If you don't already listen to Dan's shows, uh, a few things that you need to know. Number one, Dan's a killer. Like, since I've known the guy, since I've been listening to the guy, really, he has um, been very, very successful, especially in his home state of Iowa. He does a really great job on hunting some some pressured ground. I mean, ground that other people have permission on. And he seems to always walk away with a fantastic buck. And so uh, he's a killer. He's efficient. He does it consistently every year. And he's a family guy. He's one of those guys that you can, you know, sit back and watch him in the winter, spring, summer, parts of early fall. You can watch him be dad and husband and business owner. You know, he's in there putting in the work in other areas. And so I wanted to have him on to kind of get a little bit of a different glimpse from what we typically see in the whitetail deer hunting space. Now, I love to get out and scout as much as I can, and I love to pursue my hobby as much as I can. But I'm always carrying around this guilt of like, man, I should have scouted more. I should have walked more. I should have hiked more. I should have e-scouted more. I should have looked at more maps. I should have run more trail cameras. You know what? At the end of the day, we've all got limitations. We all have life. We all have jobs. We all have families. We all have wives. We have kids that we want them to, you know, grow up with a dad in the home. And for a lot of us, it's just not practical to put in the amount of work that we hear some guys talking about. Now, this is not to knock those guys because, man, those folks who are doing it at a really high level and who are putting in the hours and putting on the miles, especially this time of year, man, more power to them. I admire those folks. Those are the folks that I typically have on the show because they're the ones I want to pick their brain about what they do. But Dan gives a little bit of a different perspective. Now, he had a time in his life when he was really putting on the miles when it comes to, you know, off-season scouting and off-season work. Now things have changed for him. He's got a couple small kids at home. He's got a wife. He runs a business. That means his time is a little bit more limited. He has to be really laser-focused on other things so that he can free up the time to hunt later on in the year. So I wanted to have him on this week and and ask him the question, what does off-season prep look like for you? Like with all the stuff that you're juggling, all the things that you've got going on, what does that process look like for you? Because I had a feeling it did not look like, hey, you know, I try to cover four or 500 miles 
of hiking a year. And it didn't. So in this episode, we talk a little bit about uh, how he how he preps for next season, how he's doing his postseason scouting, what he's doing with his gear, what he's doing with his trail cameras, when he starts planning trips for next fall. Lots and lots of good information in this one from Dan. If you don't already, you need to go check out his podcast, the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, and also the Hunting Gear podcast. He's got lots of great companies on with all kinds of awesome gear on that podcast. It's a really, really good one. Now, before we get into the meat of the episode, got to pay the bills. A couple of things. Number one, please go support the partners that support this show. Uh, I would not be able to do what I do if it were not for the brands that have chosen to believe in what we're doing here and to partner with us. Number one, Tacticam. They are the title sponsor of this show and my other podcast, the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. They make great products for guys who want to film their hunts. Now, if you're looking to start filming your hunts, this is a great time to start uh, gathering the equipment for that. You don't want to go out and buy a camera in September and hope that, hey, by October I can be shooting confidently with it uh, on my bow or you know, by, by hunting season, I'm going to be ready to and know exactly how I like to, to get things all set up. Go ahead and check them out now. They've got the 6.0 and the Solo Extreme cameras. Both are great cameras. The 6.0 gives you 4K 60 frame per second footage. It's got a little LCD touchscreen, which is amazing to have on there. Also, you can go and watch your footage right away. So if you want to say, hey, where did I hit that deer? You can just pull it up on the screen and see exactly where you hit that animal, which is one of my primary reasons for wanting to film my hunts. You can also check out their Solo Extreme camera. Now, they just were running a deal on the Solo Extreme. It may still be going on. I'm not positive, but they were selling that thing for like $129.99. It was $70 off, which was an incredible deal. That Solo Extreme camera gets you HD footage, one-touch operation, just like all the other Tacticam cameras, weatherproof housing, just like all the other Tacticam cameras. It can be used with a remote, just like all the other Tacticam cameras that are uh, coming out now. So it gives you a lot of punch in a budget-friendly option. You can go find not only those two cameras, but all the mounts and adapters and all the other things that make using Tacticam cameras a breeze at their website, Tacticam.com. Next up, Huntworth. They uh, are making great camo at a price that's not going to break the bank, right? Uh, if you're looking for uh, camo for next year, if you're thinking to yourself, hey, my, my pattern didn't really blend very well, or my clothes didn't keep me very comfortable, or hey, I, I, it's just time to update, right? Like the, these things are getting a little bit ratty. I highly recommend you go check out Huntworth. They just had their winter clearance sale, so uh, they may be out of some things. I'm not positive on that. I do know, man, that if you didn't pick up some stuff during their winter clearance sale, you missed a great opportunity. Everything was 20 to uh, 50% off on their website. It was fantastic. But I also know that right now, if you go over to their website and spend 200 bucks, you get domestic shipping for free. So grab a pair of pants, grab a jacket, get free shipping straight to your door. It's an awesome deal. So go check them out, huntworthgear.com. Then finally, Onyx. Onyx goes with me everywhere that I go. Chances are, if you're a serious hunter, you're using some kind of app to help you navigate through the woods, to help you keep up with waypoints, uh, and even to do a little bit of digital scouting. I've used several other mapping apps. I think I have three of them on my phone right now um, for different things. And I've got to say, Onyx is the best by far. It's the most user-friendly. It is the most reliable from what I have found. It has the best looking interface. So when you look at it, it just, it doesn't look just cluttered 
like some of the others, and it's just a breeze to use. So I highly recommend them. If you're not using Onyx already, you can go get a seven-day free trial. Just head over to the app store of your choice and look up the Onyx Hunt app. If you have more questions or want to learn more, head to their website. They've got all their stuff there. They've also got uh, some great videos that highlight different features of the product. So uh, if you're interested in the Onyx Hunt app, go to their website, onyxmaps.com, or like I said, you can find it in the app store of your choice. Now, personal request before we get into this episode. Uh, if you're not already, please go like and, or subscribe or follow or whatever it is, this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that's on uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever it is. Wherever you get this podcast, go and follow or like or subscribe or whatever it is that they let you do. And then if you can, please, please, please leave a review. Um, the more people that leave reviews, the easier it is for folks to find this podcast. It's a great way that you can help me directly uh, continue to grow this show. Another great way that you can help as you're listening to it, go ahead and take a screenshot on your phone, post that up on Instagram, tag me in it. I'll share that. uh, And it'll let other folks know that you found this podcast helpful, that you found information from this show directly helpful. It points people to this podcast and what I think is a very, very helpful resource for folks And last but not least, if you're not already, obviously, following us on Instagram, please go do that. That'd be awesome. It's the best way to get a hold of me, best way to tell me topics or people that you would like me to uh, have on the show. And it's also the primary way that I communicate, hey, a new episode launched, or hey, we're going to do this cool thing. So go follow us over there at How to Hunt Deer. Now, with all that stuff out of the way, let's jump into the conversation, talking about the off-season checklist of Dan Johnson. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is the emperor, the man himself of the Sportsman's Empire podcast network. I was trying to think of a lot of other stuff to call you, but I decided not to. Well, I tell you, like, up, whenever, whenever people start saying stuff like that, it makes me seem like I'm some big, important person. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just like a regular person, if not, bo- yeah. if not even a little bit below regular. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Just subpar. Subpar. Yeah. Uh, the subpar emperor Dan Johnson. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dan, did you see? Did you see Nick Otto's most recent series? He's starting on the Hunt of War podcast. Oh, buddy, remind me. Okay, so it's the Emperor's Table. Okay. Where he's interviewing guys from the podcast network, having us all on to talk about our favorite wild game, you know, oh. wild game uh, recipes and stuff. But I thought the title was spot on, The Emperor's Table. Yes. So I like you, that. You've made it into that. I hope, he inv- yeah. I hope he invites me on to do one. Well, he probably won't because remember the whole subpar thing. Oh, but, yeah. I'm not very good uh, at what I do. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame him. Oh, Dude, well, Nick's, Dan, the, Nick's look, the man. That I love his po- I is. love his podcast. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is, man. And his voice, like, I wish I had a radio voice like he does. Uh, I mean, yeah. he's just got it. Like rocking, yeah. I I can see him. I don't know. Here's what I'll say: If you are a major company in the outdoor space and you are looking to hire someone to host your podcast, I would say Nick Otto is that guy who his voice and just how he talks. Like for me, I say a lot of um, well, uh, e, uh, you know that kind of crap. He's like. He's almost flawless in his delivery. He is. Yeah. So shout out, shout out Nick Otto of the Hunt of War podcast. 
That's right. And hey, if you want some ad reads done, you want to run some commercials or whatever, call yeah. Nick, man. He's got a great voice. Yeah, He'll hell put yeah. that stuff out there and make you sound professional. Heck yeah, man. Uh, so, Dan. Yes. It's February 15th. Yep. Did you win Valentine's Day or not? Who knows, man? Who really knows? <laughs> like, like I bought my wife some gifts and I bought her. Let's see. Here, here's what I did. I bought her. I bought her one of her favorite kinds of wine. I bought her some flowers, some chocolates. I took all the kids out of the house, and as a team, we went and we went and we bought uh, chocolates, flowers, uh, a bottle of wine. We bought four candles at Bed Bath and Beyond that the kids helped picked out, and then a really, I guess you would say, classy pair of sunglasses. She's okay. always complaining about her sunglasses, so uh, I went and got a really good pair of sunglasses with a really good heavy duty case that she's able to take with her and and not lose and things like that so i personally feel like i won valentine's day but based off of her reaction to it i guess i just did okay like i i don't know like i <laughs> dude here, here's a little background i come from a family that like really we we really didn't do a lot of gift giving. I mean, there was always some gift giving in Christmas and on birthdays and things like that, but it was never like getting showered. It was like, here's a pair of socks and underwear for your stocking. Here is a, a shirt and some jeans, and here is a toy. And that's really it, you know, as far yeah. as as far as how gifts were given in my family. And so, like, I dude, I feel like I personally take it to the next level on gift giving, especially for my wife in order to build up the brownie points for the upcoming season. And so did, I'll be honest, I might be backing off some of this gift giving if, if I don't get the reactions (laughs) that I want anymore. (laughs) It's you got to get the mileage out of it, man. Mm -hmm. Again, though, sounds like you're consistent with that subpar performance. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least in her eyes, Yeah, in her eyes anyway, I guess I guess she was desperate when she married me. She's like, "Well, my clock's ticking. I who's that guy? He'll do." Yeah, man. Well, Valentine's Day is behind us. I managed to uh, make it through Valentine's Day without talking too much about hunting, so that's a win. Well, did you on my front? Did you gift? Did you uh, gift your wife anything? I mean, so, was she happy with what you provided for? She she was yeah. So I I won Valentine's Day usually and. Because I lose Valentine's Day. Mm. Like, I usually am really bad. Like, yeah. uh-oh, I didn't get you anything Yeah, kind of Valentine's Day. Uh, I did flowers and a card, that handwritten super sappy note on the inside, okay. all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I, I won. Okay, good. I, I think I won Valentine's Day. So, good. Uh, you know, nice little investment. But, uh, man, right here on Valentine's Day... And right after Valentine's Day, really, now for a lot of guys in the Midwest, your seasons have been done for a while, but for a couple of other places, for like your Ohio's, for your Alabama's, uh, a couple other spots are really just now winding down deer season. It's just now ending. Uh, guys are just now coming out of the woods. I know for where I hunt in southern Alabama, the, the best days of the season are that last 10 days of the season, like that February 1st through 10th. That's when you're going to catch cruising bucks. That's when you're going to see rutting activity and that kind of thing. So we are finally, though, out of all of that. And I wanted to have you on and talk a little bit about 
uh, kind of your postseason or off-season checklist. Like, what is Dan Johnson doing this time of year? And I want to ask this from the perspective of, um, number one, there are not a lot of guys that I know that are consistent every year and go into their hunting, whether it be prep or scouting or whatever, with no kind of plan. Yeah. Right? Like, there. And and you're you're a guy. Since I've known you, you've gotten a great buck there in Iowa, every single year, right? Um, there are other guys though. Their postseason prep looks a little bit different. Somebody commented the other day, like I've got a thousand miles, mm-hmm. you know, last off season. And I don't know about you, Dan, but I can't make that happen. Yeah, I'm not going to cover a thousand. If I cover forty miles, then I've done really really well in my postseason scouting. Yeah. So I think the prep is going to look a little bit different for everybody. But I think everybody probably has to do some if you really want to be serious about getting on a good buck this fall. Right. So I want to kick it over to you and ask, what does this postseason time look like for you? Like, what are you doing in in February or are you just still kind of detoxing from the season? That's a great question. And I'm going to answer it by elaborating on part of what you said earlier uh, about this 1100 miles. I may not put in 1,100 miles uh, or whatever X amount of time dedicated to scouting last year or this year, but trust me, on the farms that I have access to, I have already done that. And so Mm. I've already put in the miles and the time and the energy on those farms in the past that have allowed me to understand deer movement on those pieces of property and... Uh, and, and thus giving me requiring more time to f- or less time to figure out the deer movement on that same property. Now, every year something changes, maybe they'll log and I'll need to make some in-season adjustments or some, you know, some adjustments to my tree stands in, in August or, or whatever the case may be. But I'm always like, I've already done a majority of the work now on a new farm or a new piece, that time is coming up. And usually what I do on that is, you know, for March when I decide to go shed hunting or uh, early March or, you know, later this month when I decide to go shed hunting is when I, I treat a shed hunt like a scouting mission. I'll scrub a piece of property real hard. I'll take notes, mental notes and notes on like hunt stand or, you know, or, or on whatever hunting app a guy uses. And I'll document everything that I find, everything that I see, trails, uh, rubs, scrapes you know, other people's tree stands, things like that. And, and and so I just gather information that way. This time of year, you know, the so our Iowa's season ends December, or no, excuse me, uh, January 10th every year. So from January 10th to now, man, I have been just doing everything except hunting. And I've been yeah. full-blown dad, full-blown husband, full-blown business owner, and just... And I was talking to somebody about this the other day uh, uh, about business. And so during, I'll start January 1. Let's just say the season's over January 1. So from January 1 until, man, I want to say the time school gets out. So from January 1 to the summer, like, uh, summer break, which is usually the end of May. I'm working my ass off to try to grow the business, to try to um, stack everything, all the odds in my favor, so that when summer comes, 
I can just almost maintain everything, not necessarily yeah. grow the business, but maintain everything because I have, uh, I have two kids that are home. The other, the third kid will be in daycare, but I'll have two kids at home. And, and, and so they can't just sit and watch TV all day. So usually in the mornings I'll, I'll get a lot of work done. And then the afternoons I dedicate to playing with the kids, taking them to a park or on a hike or something like that. And then once school starts again, uh, mid, mid August, all the way up until usually October 1st, I'm back in grind mode again. And, and this is just getting content and getting like getting everything organized. And what I mean by that is for the business, but also for the, the, uh, like prepping everything for the hunting season as well, like making sure my mother-in-law is going to be available on the dates that I've decided to go out of state, uh, or, you know, on my rut vacation and things like that. Then when the season starts, I'm back to maintain mode again. And so, um, you know, I, I can get out, I can go hunt as much as I need to. And then, you know, on an off week, or if it's really hot, get back into this grind mode again, uh, before the next, the next hunt. And all of that work that I'm doing, is really preparing me to be able to step out of, I, I guess you would call it reality, step away from being a parent, step away from being a husband, step away from being a business owner, and then just fully focusing on whatever hunt I have scheduled uh, or is going down for that particular day or week or whatever, you know, whatever it is. So that's a, that's a very long-winded answer to your question. Yeah, well, I think that's really good, though, because there's a and we've talked about it before, kind of the, the Terminator mentality of deer hunting at this point. And and it's great for those guys that are 365 days a year out there scouting. I mean, you, you hear the guys who say, man, I, I scouted 75 or 100 days last year. That's wonderful. But the moment that they start to veer into and this is what it takes to be successful. Yeah is the moment that I think it does a disservice for the hunting community. Because then all of a sudden guys that are listening to these podcasts think, man, if I don't put in my 75 days or my 1,100 miles, why bother? Like I, I can't have success. I can't find success. I can't have a good hunt. I can't, I can't enjoy this sport because that's the level of commitment that it takes. I can't, you know, be a normal human being, have a job, have kids, have a wife, and yeah. still be successful at this hunting game. And I think what you just described is, is a big uh, relief probably for a lot of guys. You're like, hey, I focus on my business. Yeah. I focus on work. I focus on being a dad. I'm investing now in the time that I'm going to have later yeah. to be able to to hunt. One, one thing that you mentioned that I'm curious to circle back to, you mentioned if you have a new property, right? Like that's when you're really going to be trying to log some miles. Yeah. The properties that you've had at this point you're familiar with, you had the one new property for this year. You very quickly got familiar with that place, killed a great buck on the property. Um, are you actively searching for new properties this time of year? Or like, when do you go about doing that? Man. I've noticed it's a little yeah. different. So when I was in Wisconsin, there was a time of year to, to find new properties. Coming down here to Georgia, it's a little bit different. Our season structure is different. People are very different about turkey hunting down here. And so I have to approach things a lot differently. So when are you looking for, you know, new farms or are you even doing that right now? So in Iowa, it has, it, it has and is becoming increasingly difficult 
to find any type of hunting property. And here's why. Number one, we are in a time frame here in Iowa where there is there is a gigantic shift in land owner uh, in landowners. And so what we have here is a whole bunch of what has typically been a traditional farming community. Um, these farming these farming operations, these uh, people who have been farming for X number of years have had children. The farmers are getting older. The, the, they're, they're retiring from farming. The kids, there's multiple of them, right? Usually two to four, or I don't even know what, what there is, but they have no interest in farming. They see the value of the land and they say, well, mom and dad are gone now. Let's just sell it and split it. And so then that gets, that gets, um, uh, bought by whoever, and maybe, and usually at, at, as of right now, it's someone who has to have big money because land in Iowa is not cheap. So what I'm, yep. so what that does then is it displaces the current hunters that are on that property. They have to go find new property or find hunting or, uh, or public property. So Iowa is 2%, uh, roughly it's either 2% or less than 2% uh, public land throughout the entire state. So what that does is because we don't have a ton of uh, hunting property, all the other hunters are getting displaced. There's more hunters on private or, or excuse me, on public and private is now getting either leased up or purchased by out of state hunters or by other hunters. So unless you want to lease a property and pay money, the whole the, the whole knocking on door uh, phase is still somewhat available. I, I would say it's way lower because in the county that I, I live in, uh, one year I went and knocked on 22 doors over the course of a three-day period, and I was told no 22 different times. And this was wow. from all over the county. And so and so it's getting increasingly harder to, to find permission only hunting here in Iowa. So I am basically just at this, this year, I'm pretty much just going to rely on, on my two farms that I, that I have uh, available to me right now there. I will be, um, I will be doing a little bit of communication and it's only on one piece of property that I know the owner of and uh or well i i don't know them personally but i'm going to go approach them because they live in a different town but their property is in a different town and so they're they don't okay. they're they don't live on their property i drive by it all the time during uh during my trips and there's no one ever there and so what i'm going to do is i'm going to try to ask them hey does anybody hunt your piece or does anybody do this and this and and maybe they say yes maybe they say no but we will uh I got, I got one piece of property on my mind. Okay. Yeah. So not a ton, you're not going to go blanket the the county with letters or, no. or uh, go do a, a lot of door knocking this time. No, unfortunately like, I, I want to, but <laughs> man, you get rejected a lot these days. And, yeah. and so usually what I rely on is it, like leads. It's like, Hey man, yep. this, uh, I know this farmer and he's got some ground I'm like, Oh really? Does he hunt? No, he doesn't. Okay, well, that's a little bit of a lead, and then I, then I, because I don't gun hunt, I just say, hey man, uh, would you mind if I shed hunt your property? 
and then I shed hunting leads to potential turkey hunting, turkey hunting then potentially lead, leads into deer hunting. And in Iowa, getting access on shed hunting and getting access to uh, shed hunt and turkey hunt is way easier than any type of deer hunting. Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. In in southern Wisconsin, that was my uh that has been my primary thing is yeah. is um turkey hunting. That that's what I lead with. And that's to be honest, that's where I, I want a bunch of different properties. I want to have five, six, seven, eight different turkey hunting properties just because of the way they're they're so nomadic and can be really unpredictable on the the public spots that I hunt. Um but yeah, wanting to have multiple, multiple properties. So when it comes to, you know, your, your current properties, the gear that you've got out, all that kind of thing. I saw Byron Horton the other day, and this, this is what prompts this question. Byron did his like final truck dump of the, of the hunting season, right? He pulled all of his gear out of his truck and like finally putting away camo and tree stands and all that stuff. Are you doing anything this time of year to like store and organize your, your gear or do, you know, maintenance, or are you saving all of that for summer and early fall? <laughs> I wish you could see my garage right now, bud. It Uh-oh. looks like it looks like a hunting store threw up in mud, and then <laughs> we pushed all of that into my garage. And so I have oh, this. Man. So earlier this fall, I built a room that's connecting in this office where I'm going to eventually put all of my hunting equipment in and my bows and my stands and, and, and my blinds and all that stuff is going to go into this next room over here right now. It's just sitting in, in my garage in a big giant pile. What, what it looks like I leave mo if, if, if my tree stands are in a good spot, I leave them there, but I have a couple tree stands that I take down every year. Uh, and usually they're taken down because I'm mobile. And so I know I'm not going to go back to that spot. Um, the only stands that I leave up are in traditional rut hunting funnels or, or places like that. And then from there, um, cell cams uh, at this point are up. My regular trail cameras right now are up. And so I will, I, I will be addressing taking down my trail cameras when I go to shed hunt. And so gotcha. there, there is a period of time when I do not have trail cameras out on the farms that I hunt, and they are usually it's usually between this March to June time frame. Gotcha. When so when are you? You've mentioned shed hunting a couple of times. 
Dude, there's a lot of guys out there that are just like posting it up already. They're like, yep. ah, I finally found one on the board for the year. And they're like getting after it as soon as they notice the first antler falling off. Yeah. Uh, where do you fall in that? And maybe, you know, ha- there are some there are some spots that traditionally people have said like, hey, these are great spots to look for sheds. And I've never in my life found a shed on these certain locations. So I'm curious to hear, yeah. when do you get started and what are the spots that you're hitting? Yeah, so that's a good cor- question. Uh, when it comes to shed hunting, back in the day, man, that's when I did my scouting. And back in okay. the day when I didn't have a wife, I was single, and I I walked a lot. And I mean, I, yeah. there were days and I didn't have a, like there was, there was a year where I didn't have a job. And so from about February 1st to March 20th, I walked every single day, uh, a couple of those days, if it wasn't raining uh, or extremely wet or there wasn't a snowstorm, I was I was walking from um, uh, first light to last light. And I was covering, wow. I mean, dude, I was covering ground. And this was in my late 20s when I was doing this, mid to late 20s, uh, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe even into my early, early, early 30s. And so that's where I did a lot of my scouting. On, on some of the properties that I used to have. Um, and then back in the day, everybody used to let you shed hunt, right? No one, yeah. no one cared back then. Hey, you mind if I shed hunt your property? Well, you're going to go look for antlers? Yeah, go for it. And so no one cared. And, and now there's a, a market for antlers. There is, you know, people want to go and take their kids out. And, you know, there's all these stories. Oh, I know this deer. And, and so shed hunting has gotten way more popular. Outside of that, um, outside of that, where do I typically find them? I mean, you know, when we talk about deer patterns for hunting, we talk about this bed to food pattern, right? And and so, just like hunt, you know, deer are going to use that same pattern unless there's a major food source source change. Right. And, and typically there really isn't. They might go different directions for different food sources. Um, a lot of it depends on if there's food on the ground uh, or excuse me, snow on the ground that covers up any acorn crop that there potentially could be. But I'm shed hunting that same line, that same bed to food pattern. And sometimes I'll find them in the uh, the bedding areas. Sometimes I'll find, you know, find them jumping a creek or a fence. Sometimes I'll, I'll find them in a staging area. But I will say this, a majority of the sheds that I have found throughout the years, and it and these are the first places I check because they are the most consistent, is buffer strips or grassy strips on, in, or around uh, uh, big ag field sources, you know, f- food sources. Interesting. And so I don't, like, I have a couple places where I... I do hunt. Um, I guess I would say there are there are a couple places where I do have uh, a uh, some big woods. But let's not get it twisted, man. Finding a deer antler in a big block of timber is 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 hard to do. And so yeah. I I go to places where it's a little easier. And so I'm going to the food. You know, I'm going to the uh, the the buffer strips. They're easy to walk park in the field or go get to the field. You can park right up there, walk the buffer strips. And the next thing you know, you got some deer antlers, but it's not, but it's not guaranteed. Right. Because on some of those spots that I just mentioned, I have to beat other shed hunters. And depending on when these, they fall, 
a lot of it has to do with um, who's there first and um, is there waste grain in the field? Is there um, a food source in the field? Uh, the best years of shed hunting that I've had have been a combination of that. So like a lot of a, a really good food source, a, a really good uh, heavy snow that led all the way up into mid-February. And then we had a warm spell. It dried, it, it melted all the snow, all the grass is flat, the antlers fell right on top of it, and then you can walk around and it's just like boom, boom, boom. I think my best day I found twelve sheds in forty five minutes. Holy cow. Yeah, it was it was just the the perfect scenario. Yeah, yeah. Man, <clears throat> there is that tension, right? Between like how early is too early when it comes to are they, are they dropping yet? Yeah. But then also that thing of are, are other people gonna beat me to them? Like it is is it even worth it? Mm-hmm. You know, I was on a I was on a a property that I was, I was trying to hold off and like, okay, I'll wait to shed hunt this property. Once I know the antlers are down, there was a specific buck I was trying to keep up with. Yeah. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And I drive past the property one day and I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm thinking, okay, in the next couple of days, the snow is going to melt down a little bit more and, and I'm going to finally hit it. And I see a guy walking across the ag field with his lab and the lab has a shed in its mouth <laughs> as it's running across the field. I'm like, okay, well, you can forget that. And I went and shed hunted it, me and my wife. We found not a single shed. We found yeah. probably 75 to 100 beds on this little ridge system mm-hmm. and not a single shed. We found drops of blood that I'm guessing was from a deer's head Yep. and did not find a single shed yeah. on either end of, of that blood, you know, dripping in the snow. Yeah. So it had been covered pretty uh pretty stinking well so uh man i'm i'm curious when it comes to your trail cameras are you doing anything so a couple years ago i started um a little bit of a maintenance routine on my trail cameras and they have i've not lost a trail camera since like i haven't had one die on me Mm -hmm. since are you doing anything to yours or are you just bringing them in and throwing them in a tote? Yeah. So I, I've talked to a, on the hunting gear podcast i've talked to a lot of uh manufacturer trail camera manufacturers yep and they say that the best thing to do to increase the longevity of your trail cameras is to leave them in one spot all the time. So yep. keep them on the tree all year round. And so, yep. you know, sometimes that can happen in other instances, like if you hunt public uh, or if, you know, in a heavy theft area, you may not want to do that. But I leave my trail cameras on the tree from june to march usually and i get a pretty good like run usage run out of them throughout the entire year and so i mean i have i rare very i have some trail cameras that i i've been using for seven plus years wow after that then they start to I don't know, deteriorate a little bit. But if you take, I mean, if you just don't like grab them, throw them in your truck and and then just leave them in your truck, bouncing around all, you know, or, you know, you're taking care of them. You're gentle with them. Cause really what it is, is it's an electronics device, electronic device. And then you set it in there and you take care of them. They're going to last a long time. And so for me, I've, I've kind of listened to what these trail camera manufacturers have said and I leave my cameras on the, on the tree for a long, you know, a, most of the season, most of the year. This episode is brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. Onyx gives you up-to-date landowner information, 
color-coded public and private land boundaries, and gives you a ton of tools to help you hunt smarter. One tool I'm loving right now is their optimal wind feature, which lets you set the optimal wind for a given location, then tells you in real time whether the wind is good, bad, or just okay for that spot. You can try it risk-free for seven days right now. Just download the Onyx Hunt app on your preferred app store today. Yeah, I've heard that same exact thing, and it might have been on one of your one of your uh, hunting gear podcast episodes that I that I heard that. I take mine out before the gun season starts in Wisconsin. Yep, just because I never have any problems during archery season. But the one year I left them out during um, during the general firearm season, I came back and I'd lost four cameras. Yeah, they'd been now now not a single one had been stolen, but they all four four of them had been vandalized. Yes. Like busted in with the butt of a gun, the SD card stolen, you know, and and just mm. just torn up. So I I do pull them in, but I, because of that, I do a little bit of maintenance, like with the gaskets and that kind of thing, keeping them lubricated and yeah, trying to make sure that I'm not gonna not gonna lose them. Yeah, I'll tell you this, man. I've I've had I think over the course of trail cameras being stolen, uh, when I started using them back in like 2009 or 10 or something like that, I've had. I've had about 10 trail cameras stolen and and it it sucks. It makes me mad. And it's taught me that, Hey man, you gotta, number one, you have to be willing to, uh, to take a loss, especially if you're not cabling them to the tree or putting them in a a big old box, you know, a bear box, uh, or, I mean, I don't know this year I had someone not steal my trail camera but they ripped the cover off of it and then they took the SD card out of it. Just like, why not just yeah. take the whole camera? You, you just destroyed it. <laughs> you took all the information off of it. Why not just take the camera too? And so yeah. it, it made me mad that somebody just like kicked it or ripped the cover off of it and then, and then stole the SD card out of it. So my goal is, here's what I've done. I'm going to go check tomorrow. I'm going to check this trail camera. I'm going to, uh, I, I put another SD card in it. So it looks like it's still broken, but then I took the, the latch that was still there and I covered up the SD card portion of it. So it looks just like someone like the guy, whoever did it. I'm hoping I catch them on the same trail camera again with them. Oh, nice. So stupid that they think, Hey man, I, there's no SD card in there. Yeah. I already, you know already what I mean? messed that one up. Yep, yep. Nice man, setting traps. Dude, yeah, trying, getting sneaky. Trying, man. gotta, gotta catch the the rat bastards. <laughs> oh, you're gonna have to edit that out. No, Sorry. it's staying in there, man. It's staying in there. <laughs> it, it, it's for everybody's good. And if uh, yep. kids hear it, you know it's uh, sorry earmuffs, everybody. Yep. Um, so when it comes to planning your your hunts for next year, when does that start taking place? I mean, I know you do some stuff out west, so you've got to yeah. be thinking out uh, ahead. But when it comes to like your hunting there in Iowa, how quickly are you going to start trying to carve that time out so that, you know, hunting season doesn't sneak up on you and you don't have anything planned. I carved that time. I've carved that time out for the rest of my life as far as the rut (laughs) is concerned. Okay. I told my wife, I told my wife that when we like, cause the girl I was dating before my wife, I, I did a poor job of communicating with her uh, that every se- every year, the same time of year, I'm going to do the same thing. And and so they don't, or she didn't understand it. Mm. Before I even married my wife, I said, listen, this is what I do. I don't go to bars. I don't, 
you know, I, I don't do softball leagues. I don't do this, this, and this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be focused on you. I'm going to be focused on my kids, except this time of, on these times of years. And so they know that like October, I'm going on a trip and then November for two weeks, I'm hunting. And then September, I might be going on a trip. And so it's just a matter of when they know I'm going to be doing these things. It's just a matter of specific dates. Yeah. And, and times of year. And so uh, this year are usually, so I'll, I'll say this last year, I went to Nebraska in September for a week. I went to South Dakota in October for a week. And then I started hunting, I would say the third, I think it was the third of November uh, in Iowa. And so I, I'm gone, right? I mean, just like I'm all that, all that stuff that we've already talked about prepping and planning and, and getting ready. I'm, I'm putting that into motion in these times of year, the, you know, these uh, certain times of years. And so now when it comes to planning and prepping, a lot of it has to do with uh, tags, right? Nebraska was over the counter. I had to apply uh, for my license for South Dakota. This year, uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to go to a Nebraska again, but uh, if I, I'm going to apply for Kansas. If I get Kansas, then I'm also going to hunt Oklahoma because they're close. And so I'm going into two, I'm going down to two spots and, and, uh, try to knock out two States while I'm there. And then when I get back home, I'm going to go do, uh, I'm going to go do Iowa again. And so it's just, they know they're ready. They know that this, this time of year is coming. I just have to put the specific dates on the calendar when I know when that's coming and, 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 and that's it. Yeah. I, th- I think it's good. Number one, that you've, you've set an expectation, but number two, you work hard like the rest of the year outside of those times to make sure that your, yeah. your dad and husband and business owner and all of that prior to getting to yeah. those so that you're not, you know, caught with your pants down, like, Oh, you know, it's, it's November 1st and I've got all this stuff at the house that I've neglected right. all summer long that, right. that I haven't gotten to. Right. I will say this though. You have to remember that when it comes to uh, prepping for these trips, bow hunting is a specifically what I do, and, and really hunting in general. And unless you're bringing your kids with you or your wife with you, it's kind of of a selfish activity. Mm-hmm. You're going out and doing your thing. Yep. And so when I go, when I was gone for a week, and then I was gone for another week, and then I was gone for another week. Right. So there was three weeks in a in a, in a three month period where I was gone for eight plus days or whatever, uh, no matter how much planning and preparation you do, depending on what your wife's attitude is, uh, that you really can't prepare for that because you're asking someone to be a single mother in a high stress environment for eight days without, you know, and so I don't know. I just, uh, it's one of those things where you can prep and plan all you want. You can shower them with gifts and get the brownie points, but then you're still leaving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so at the time it's all good. But then when the time to actually leave and go and do your thing hits, it's just like, well, here I am by myself. And, and, and unless you are clear at communicating with them, uh, it's going to be, it, it gets stressful. Yeah. And there's always, there's always those, what time will you be home phone calls? 
Oh yeah. When will you be home? Phone calls. When when will you be home? Texts and and for me, I just respond with, "I've already told you all of this." Mm. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm going to take a different approach. Uh, yeah. So, right. No. Right. I, I will say this. This was the first year that I did a really great job of communicating up front. Like, hey, these are the dates that I'd really like to hunt. My wife is super gracious. She let me go for two weeks for a rut hunt in Wisconsin. And man, the amount that I learned setting aside a big block of time to specifically devote to hunting was was tremendous. I would advise anybody who's been the weekend warrior or maybe reluctant to take a week off of work or whatever and, and hasn't done an extended hunt, whether that's in-state or out-of-state, I recommend you do it because the amount that you learn over those three, four, five, ten days, however long you have, um, I mean, it's like you you stack multiple seasons into one, essentially, as far as right. your experience right. goes. And I, in my previous comment, I mean, I I'm, I do that with, I I say that with all due respect. Oh sure, because because I ha- I I do I know I do I know I communicate. Hey, listen, I'm going to be gone these dates. Yep. And then, you know, if there's an issue, like, what do you want me to do? I can't, I can't come home, mm. you know? Oh, okay. Give me, give me 11 hours and I'll be back. Yeah. I'll, I'll actually give me 12 or 13 hours and I'll be back yep. to handle this, this issue. And so they, I mean, it comes a certain point where if they're okay with you going, then they have to understand that they, and this is the scenarios that you have to run by them. Yeah. Right. You can't. So. When when I say I'm going to be gone, it means I'm going to be gone, and I don't necessarily want these phone calls saying, "Hey, this is a problem I'm dealing with." Well, I, number one, I can't do it. Number two, you need to do it. And number three, when you call me, uh, it, it, and now it's taken my mind out of the hunt, and now I'm not thinking about hunting, which is why why I'm on this trip anyway. So. It's very important to run these scenarios by them. So what what are you going to do if this happens? Yeah, yeah. Little Johnny needs stitches, you know, needs to run to the emergency room. Now what? Yeah, like you're going to freak out? You're going to call me? No, you're going to put him in the car and you're going to take him to go get stitches. You yeah. know, like, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, man, that can be tough. That can be yeah, real tough. It can. It can be. It can be really tough. We need to have a whole uh, podcast episode called "Dan Johnson is Selfish" and talk about all the ways. <laughs> talk about all the ways that that bow hunting makes you selfish. I mean, because it because yeah. it really does. I like the way you said that, and I've heard you say it that way before. Yeah. Of like, what we do is yeah. a selfish thing, yeah. but it's limited in time. It's it's for this mm-hmm. window, and and we're up front. Hey, we're going to be real selfish for like two weeks. And then, then yeah. we're good. Then we're back, you know, right. the itch is scratched. And it's too bad. I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm a numbers guy, but my wife is not a numbers person. So I could, I could say, Hey, you know, three weeks of three weeks a year out of 52 is a very small percentage of time that I'm actually asking for to go do something. Mm. And so, and maybe we'll even Maybe let's even add a fourth week in there for uh, maybe a turkey hunting, uh, a turkey hunting trip or something like that. Yep. Four weeks out of 52, man, or or 20 days out of 365, when you put it in that type of, you know, it just so happens that what I do requires me to be gone for multiple nights in a row. It's not like I go and do something and then I come back home. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no, I get that. So, man, let's let's uh, shift gears. Now, this is the How to Hunt Deer podcast, but I have to know, uh, 
Dan, I think you're my favorite turkey hunter in the world because you do it so oh, yeah. be- you do it so begrudgingly. Like you, <laughs> <laughs> I f- I feel like you turkey hunt at this point out of sheer obligation. Um, yeah, yeah, I I think you're right. So, what do you have planned? Are you are you are you turkey hunting this year? Uh, yeah, but for turkey hunting, I don't make any plans until usually one or two days before the season starts. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so, uh, this year though, there I'm, I'm gonna, I'm depending on where I go turkey hunting. If I tag out early in Iowa, I might drop down to Missouri and, uh, because where I where some of my turkey hunting spots here in Iowa are real close to that board, the Missouri border. So I might drive an extra 20 minutes South hop over uh, into Missouri and, and spend a couple days trying to chase uh, turkeys there. There you go. Awesome, man. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna be doing the same thing I did last year, taking some days there in Wisconsin, but hopefully I can get it done real quick and maybe hit some states on the way home. That that would be a dream, yeah. but but we'll see. So, Well, Dan, man, I'm yeah. going to let you get uh, get back to the rest of your day. You've got a garage to go clean, dude. If, uh, if all not your- today. Not, <laughs> not today. Today is not I'm not doing day. it today. Okay. Not today. All right. Well, Dan, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again for coming on. And uh, I think you've got a you've got a little show. Do you want to do you want to plug your little podcast or no? I, you well, can no, probably I, use well, some here's more. What I, I, you can probably well, use here's some what more. I do want to plug. So uh, you know, we talk on this on this podcast. We've talked about you know every and all things deer hunting. Yep. So there is a spinoff of the How to Hunt Deer podcast called the how to hunt turkey podcast that has just launched on the sportsman's empire network. Uh, and it is all it's, it's the same format as this, the people who are interviewed by Paul Campbell of the Ohio outdoors podcast. He is at, he actually works for the NWTF. And so he, uh, is interviewing all of these stud turkey hunters and wildlife biologists. So it's all things, turkey hunting on the, how to hunt turkey podcast. Yep. And then this week, correct me if I'm wrong, Parker, Yep. right? Yep. Parker, uh, Parker McDonald of the Southern ground podcast. He's dropping his limb hanger podcast, which again is all things, turkey hunting with some of the, you know, with some of the the greatest turkey hunters throughout all all states are going to be on that podcast and it's just parker loves to turkey hunt paul loves to turkey hunt and so why not bring a little bit of turkey hunting content to the network that is right now really heavily uh really heavily whitetail focused big game focused and so this uh this turkey content is going to make a lot of people really happy i think yeah i think so and if you haven't checked those out uh, the How to Hunt Turkey podcast drops on Tuesdays, and then actually Tuesdays? from the day yep. that this launches, uh, Limb Hanger will be coming out tomorrow. That is Friday morning, and it'll launch on Fridays yep. moving forward. Yep, absolutely. So not to mention, there's just a ton of other good stuff out there. My goodness, how many how many shows are we up to now, Dan? I'm looking at I'm looking at our calendar right here, and and so Houndsman XP, Oklahoma Outdoors, uh, Michigan Wild. Huntivore, the Go Wild podcast. That's the brand new one. Another brand new one that we've just launched this, uh, you know, this year already. And uh, for those who are not familiar, the Go Wild, um, uh, the Go Wild social app, they have their own podcast, and they decided to join forces here on the network. Then we have the the guys over at Missouri Woods and Water 
We have John with Whitetail Landscapes. We have you doing the Wisconsin Sportsman. We have uh, Dan and now Brandon doing the Western Rookie uh, podcast. We have the Paul and the How to Hunt Turkey podcast. We have we have the Ohio Outdoors podcast uh, with the guys from Ohio. Nine Finger Chronicles, of course. Antler Up with Jeremy Dinsmore. Uh, Average Conservationists. Nomadic Outdoorsmen. The Hunting Gear podcast. The How to Hunt Deer podcast. The DIY Sportsman. The Whitetail Experience. Southern Ground. And the Pennsylvania Outdoorsmen. Pennsylvania Woodsman. Woodsman. Yep. Man, so Woodsman. over 20. Yeah. And so, dude, we're rocking, man. Yeah. We're rock. We're we're dominating yeah. life right now. Yeah. It's getting pretty stacked, man. It, it's it's awesome to yeah. see where this is. I mean, how long has the network been around? To, we, I started it November 1st of 2017 is when the website launched and the first real feel of the network was was launched okay and, and that was launched with two podcasts on the network wow so we're just over five years from then yep. and yep you know now i've grown to 20 something different shows so yeah man yep. no matter we got some we got some big news potentially coming too Uh-oh. i should have i should uh know more by the end of this week excellent man well next uh next time we talk you'll have to let us know about the big news and we can uh i hope so yeah sweet all right dan have a good day yeah thanks josh that's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcast. If you could leave us a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show and help me bring you great content each and every week. If you're looking for more outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you're going to find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts.